Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So, uh, a few weeks ago, we went away to a conference called Jesus Conference, which I know some of you know, and it was an amazing, life-changing experience. I I just want to share this so you understand how I I see God's hand in just preparing for this. Uh, While we were waiting online for the very first night, there was a man that came up to us. I was sitting there reading my Bible, and he came up and said, "Can can I share something with you? And you could just tell this was not... Joe Blow. This was someone who was really flowing in words of knowledge and the prophetic, and you could just sense that the Lord had put something on his heart. And so he began to share to me, and then he went around to everyone in this circle. There was like nine of us, and it was incredible. I mean, every single one of us was weeping and crying, and uh, he shared a lot of things, but one of the things that he said that I just knew the Lord was saying, was speaking to me, he said, when you go into this um, into this, it wasn't even a conference, it's just gathering to be with Jesus. When you go in to meet with Jesus, the Lord is going to speak a word to you that's going to be for the next season. It's going to lead you into the next season um, for this, for what you're doing. And he didn't know. He said, I see a pastor's heart. He didn't even know I was pastoring. He was sharing all these things, but he said, there's going to be a word. And I told you, some of you were here last time that I actually did this very thing where God called me to come up. Um, when I was, uh, when I went into this uh, this conference, I had these expectations of what exactly God was going to do, what that word might be. It was going to be uh, this just mighty move of just being crushed with the power of God. But really what the Lord was leading me to was, was dying, uh, the power of dying to myself. Um, and now in hindsight, as I look at what God was doing, the things he's laid on my heart, some things I'll share that we've shared the last few weeks, and just in prayer, I've truly believed that the word that God wants to speak to this body, that's going to lead us into our next season is purity. It's purity. We are engaged, we are in a marriage covenant with Jesus Christ, and he has called us to be pure brides to him. And many of us, as, you, as me, we want to see the moves of God. How many want to see God move? I mean, in ways that only, only God can be, you know, explain it, right? We want to see the power of God. We want to see that. We're seeing those things, but what God spoke deeply into my heart is that it is a pure bride. Purity comes before power. Let me read this one scripture with you that I shared a few weeks ago. Go, go in your Bibles. By the way, nothing's on the screen because it wasn't planned, so I hope you have your Bibles. Today's the test. Go to Joshua chapter 3 just for a moment. Joshua chapter 3. Uh, this is when the Israelites are getting ready to cross over into the promised land. I want to, again, reiterate something from a few weeks ago. Starting in verse 2, Joshua chapter 3, they're getting ready to cross over. They're getting ready for preparing their hearts. And it says, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And verse 5 says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. 
The Lord's desire, the Lord was going to manifest his presence, not his omnipresence, which we are all graced by, but the manifest presence of God was coming to be released and poured out upon these people. But before it would come, he says, you must consecrate yourselves. As we shared a few weeks ago, consecration always comes before manifestation. There's always, and here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the way they consecrate themselves was outward purification. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, there's now a consecration of the heart, which is what God has always wanted. The prophets prophesied that there's a day coming when God would pour out his spirit and create a new heart in man. David cried out, create a new heart, a pure heart in me. He recognized, I need a new heart. God has poured that out to everyone that calls upon the name of Jesus. And he's made a way for us not to outwardly purify, but inwardly to have our hearts solely and wholly set on him. And the Lord spoke to me, says, Andrew, I didn't understand fully when I first shared this, because Andrew, I am desiring, you have to hear this, if you trust as me as your shepherd, this is the Lord speaking, I'm desiring to pour myself out in this body in a very special way. There's a very special way, I believe in my heart, that what God wants to do within this body. But he is saying, purification must come first. He's asking us to, see, here's the thing, oftentimes you start talking about purification and holiness um, there's many in, in our culture today, Christian culture, they say, well, that's legalism. That's legalism. It's a holy roller. No, 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 no. It's placing value on what Jesus Christ has done. He is the only true pure one. In, 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 the, in the Old Testament, when they brought a sacrifice to God, the only way that it was acceptable is it had to be pure, without blemish, perfect. And when they would do that, then the priest would place the seal on it and say, this one can be sacrificed. Do you know that it says in John 6, 28, that the Father has placed his seal of approval on Jesus because he's the only holy, pure, and blameless one. My point is that Jesus Christ has done it. He's done what we could never do. But when we recognize what he's done and that now he lives inside of us, he calls us by his spirit to walk out what is now true about us, which is what we are called holy and pure. You see, there's a major difference between positional purity or positional holiness and then practicing holiness, practicing. It's not us. It's us dying to self so that the Spirit of God that lives in us is causing us to come after him. He's, he's looking for a pure bride. The Lord brought me to Hebrews 12. He didn't need to go there, but it says that God is a consuming fire. What does it mean to be a consuming fire? It means whatever he touches that fire, when something is consumed, it's, it's totality. It's everything. You see, God is looking for a heart that is holy, meaning not, not holy, meaning everything is set upon him. That's where the consuming fire comes and falls. John the Baptist had absolutely nothing to offer the people from a natural standpoint. He wore rags and ate some weird stuff if you read about him. But it says when he came out, he began to preach and everyone came to see him. Why? Because you don't need to call attention to a fire, especially in the backdrop of the nighttime. John, it says, he says he was a burning light amongst people because he walked in purity with a heart that was wholly set on God. And I believe in my heart that in my life especially, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but if you can attest to this, you say, why do I feel so cold? Why do I see things in the scripture of these men and these women that just willing to give it all? And I don't understand. They seem to be burning for Jesus. Why not? Because he's a consuming fire. He will only burn that which is given to him in its entirety. The reason why we're not seeing, I believe in my heart, burning Christians that are living as we see in the scriptures is because the altars are filled with half sacrifices. He's looking for a body that says, God, I give you everything. Lord, I'm pure in you. 
Purity is not just a matter of outward, outward uh, holiness or outward, uh, you know, out, out doing the right thing outwardly. Purity, what well, the Lord was really speaking to me, purity is to be free from contamination, which means it's about a single, a singleness. David was pure. He wasn't sinless. He, had a, he didn't have a sinless heart. David had a single heart. His heart was purely for the Lord. And that's what God is looking for. None of us, listen, on this side, none of us, there's no such thing as perfection on this side. He's looking for single hearts, those that are directed towards him fully. Because here's the reality is he, he satisfies, and he wants the best for us. And when we place our hearts solely on him, it's like we shared last week, when our, when our gaze is upon him, that's where sin is destroyed. It's not us destroying sin in our own life. You cannot do that. The flesh is not strong enough. What happens is you gaze upon him, and his beauty, and his beauty grips your heart, and everything else begins to melt away. And he's asking and looking for people that would set their hearts solely on him. Because it's actually, it brings him glory, and it's actually the best life for you. Do you know how many people, Pastor Crystal can attest to this at Teen Challenge, how many men and women we've sat down with, just to talk about sexual purity, that's one that comes up a lot. Do you know how many that have walked in sexual impurity, and then when they got saved, walked in sexual purity? You know, if you would ask them, what one, which one brought you freedom? Oh, you'd be amazed at testimonies. And they said, when I gave myself away to anyone and everyone, I was broken, empty, used. Man, when I walked in purity, when I found Jesus, I found the one that my heart has always longed for. And I walked with him. They said it was the first time I was actually liberated. When our, when our hearts are pure before him and we find whole satisfaction in him, it's actually the best life for us. There's a, there's a man in, um, uh, in the book of Acts named Simon the Sorcerer. I don't know if you ever heard of him. But I, I just I want you to hear this. Simon the Sorcerer saw Peter, I believe it was Peter and John, lay hands on, um, lay hands on, on some people from Samaria, and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and he saw the power. This man would walk around Samaria and perform Miracles, really, but just from demonic spirit. But it was supernatural things. But when he saw this, he says, this is real power. And he says, I want that. And he offered silver and gold. And they said, silver and gold cannot buy this. And I just feel the, the things that God has promised to us as a body in your life, the, the way that we know God is desiring to move in this, silver and gold can't buy it. Like a building, a nice building. Sometimes we can think, man, we get to a nice building, then ministry will start. The building can't purchase that. The, the, the worship equipment can't purchase that. None of that can purchase it. It's a heart that understands his internal bankruptcy and is hungry for the Lord and confesses Christ and walks with him in purity. I've, the more I get around people, men and women that I see are walking with this fire of God upon their lives. There's just no mistaking about it. These are people that are walking in purity. Their heart is set on God. Do they stumble and fall? Absolutely. I don't know their full life, but I'm sure they do. But I know that one thing is that they're after God. He has everything. He, he, he's everything to them, and that's what he's looking for in us. Turn with me to um, this other scripture I had with 2 Corinthians chapter 11 I want to read to you. Are you guys following me right now? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 1 through 4. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. 
verse 2, this is so important. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Verse 4, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And here Paul gives this beautiful picture. He says he's jealous. It actually, the root is, is where we get the word zeal. It means to boil. It's literally the picture of this water that is about to boil. Paul is saying that there's this bubbling up inside of him. Like water that's about to boil, there is this holy jealousy, this holy zeal for those that he are under his care, that they would walk as pure, as a pure bride, as a pure virgin, presented before the Lord, married to Jesus in covenant. He says, pure and simple devotion to Christ. Listen, Jesus said, he said, you cannot be devoted to two things. He says, if you love one, you'll hate the other. Why? Because if I love something, anything that pulls me away from it, I begin to hate that thing. You cannot be in love with two things. He's calling us as a people to have him as the sole lover of our heart and our soul. He's saying, fix your gaze upon me. He's the one that we've always wanted to begin with. And I, I was reminded of Mary, how we spoke about Mary a few weeks ago. And if you remember, we said Mary was called to bear the promise of God. And Mary must bear the reproach of bearing this promise that was inside of her. And we spoke at length about that, of how God was birthing something through Mary. At the end of the day, though, Mary was called to really birth a revelation of Jesus to the world. Do you know that's what he wants to do in each and every one of our lives? That's his primary purpose. God wants to use us to birth Jesus everywhere we go and show him who he is. But there's one thing that I miss that I think is so important that serves as a prophetic picture for us. When we spoke about Mary, it's this, is that Mary was a virgin. And it speaks to purity. In other words, Mary did not give herself to others outside of covenant relationship with Joseph. And God is calling us to be a pure bride. It says a virgin. He that's just why he says things like when we commit sin, it's called spiritual adultery. This is the, the terms he uses. It's like we are turning our back on him like we would on a lover. It's like waking up next to your partner and saying, you don't satisfy me anymore. I'm going to find satisfaction somewhere else. That's why he says it's, it's like committing adultery on me. And he's calling us, if we see him for who he is, he's calling us to be faithful and in love with him. And I promise you, I can't say this enough. Our best life is found when he is the sole pursuit of our heart. Our best life, that's where, that's where I have been most free is where he has sat on the throne of my heart and I said, Jesus, you are all that I want. And so purity, it's, it's, not, about, it's not about legalism. It's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. God has declared us holy. It's true. You cannot be more holy than you are in Christ. That's it. But now he calls us to walk in what he has declared us to be. But we don't do it by our flesh. It's through surrender. You, you can't do it by your flesh. If I say, man, I'm declared holy now. I'm going to go walk in holiness. You'll still never be able to do it. 
The only way to do it is by the Spirit. See, God is, see, this is the thing. I'm going to share this in the Beatitudes. The other thing is that you must know, blessed are the poor in spirit. For the kingdom of God is this. Blessed are those who understand. I can't do it without you, Lord. Those, it says, then later on it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When you understand that you cannot walk this without the Spirit, it, it, it leads to a hunger for him and say, God, every single day, Lord, I can't do this without you. Romans 7, I just want to share a few things that I believe you don't need to, you don't need to turn there, but just some things that, that I know that I've wrestled with. But Romans 7, you know, Paul, Paul says, why do I do the things that I shouldn't do, right? And I can certainly attest that, but do you know that what Paul's actually confessing there? If you'd actually go, he's talking about being bound by the law and the flesh. The very next chapter, he's talking about new life by the Spirit. When Paul says, why do I keep doing the things that I do and the things that I don't want to do, I, I do, and the things I should do, I don't do, what he actually gets to is in the end, he says, who will save me from this wretched body of death? And he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ. What he's actually confessing is that the law and the flesh can't fulfill what God has, but the Spirit of God can. We need to die to ourselves lose our life so that the Spirit of God has full possession over us, that we would actually walk with him. It's the only way to do it. Listen to, just listen to this, Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Romans 8.13. Look, this is right in the Word. For if you live by its dictates, meaning the flesh, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. When I am walking counter to what God has for me, it's simple. I'm walking in the flesh. There's, there's only two ways. It's the flesh and the Spirit. And God is saying, listen, if it's not at me striving, the work is surrender. It's being with him. It's everything we talk about. It's learning to get alone with him. It's learning to behold him. It's learning to see him. Caesar shared this. I've got... 8,000 books up here. <laughs> Caesar shared this, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. Listen to this. It says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. In other words, you're not stuck in these same repetitive cycles of death if you're abiding. Listen, it says, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. If you see him, your life changes. If you understand him, if, if you see his beauty, if you see what he's done for you through his word, through the spirit, through beholding, through being with him, it begins to eat up every other desire. The only reason why I go out and do those things is because I'm dissatisfied somewhat. I'm looking for something. But when I find that everything I'm looking for is found in him and I'm experiencing that, it swallows up all those cravings that I have deep within my soul. You guys follow me? We're not, we're not here. I know we say this, but it's so important. We're not here to... We're not interested in just going through surface. Listen to me. This is, I want to see, I want to see Mastic Beach, one for Jesus. And I know many hearts do here. And I want to see more than Mastic Beach. But I'm going to start, I'm going to start there. I want to see every, I want to see every person in this room. I want to see every family, one to Jesus Christ. And listen, we, if we're going to be a light, if we're going to be a light, it's going to mean our hearts are pure towards him. This is why we're doing these prayer nights and beholding night. It's simply because we want to get in front of him. And the more we see him and abide in him, the more our hearts are going to want him and nothing else. And the more that happens, I'm telling you, there's going to be an outpouring that God is saying he wants to do as we walk in the pureness that he has already called us to be.
But one more scripture I want to share with you. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. It's the Beatitudes, and I'll, I'll finish right here. I guess I had more to say than I realized. <laughs> yeah, the Lord did. That's right. I'll finish right here. Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, because I believe this is really important. It gives, a, I think, a really healthy pattern for purity. By the way, I just reminded of this. I don't have the scriptures here, but there's so many scriptures that talk about how when we walk according to the word and we read the word, that we're purified by the word. This is really important. This comes with abiding and being with him. We need to be lovers of this word, lovers of this word. Um, and the more you read it, see, those that say it's not that good, it's because you haven't, you haven't read enough yet. That's why, actually, I love short times with just reading and meditating. On some, sometimes I love to read in bulk because sometimes it takes me, you know, a few minutes, hours. <laughs> I have more time even some than others. But I start to see it, and I say, oh, my goodness. I st it starts to get me hungry for it. It's like a, um, it's like a cup with coffee right, an old cup of coffee, and it's like putting it under a faucet with water, and the more the pure water runs into that cup, the more you just see this junk flowing out, right, until it's just pure water. That's what, that's what the Word of God does. The more we flush ourselves with the Word, it purifies us. The Word itself has the power to accomplish what it's speaking into us. It's not us. So when you read things about what it's calling us to do, it's actually planting seeds of faith within your heart. That if we would yield to him and die to ourselves, that very seed will begin to produce the life of what it says. Matthew chapter 5 right here. Verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor, the poor receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And in verse 8, it says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Purity brings about this level of intimacy with the Lord. Your position, your position is one thing, but I'm speaking about this deep intimacy and fellowship with the Lord that comes from a pure heart. But, the God, but God showed me a pattern here. And it begins, I'm just going to share this verse one more time. Verse 2 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to recognize your internal bankruptcy. It means to recognize that your flesh cannot do anything. It means to recognize, as Paul said, that I am a wretched man without the Spirit. It means to recognize that without the presence of God, I cannot walk this thing out. Poverty is the recognition of our wicked state without God's presence. And what poverty does is it leads us into a complete and total surrender to the Lord. It leads us into a hunger for Him when we recognize, my goodness, I cannot do this without you, Lord. I can't even live a single day without you. And we never graduate from this. See, that's what I love about the Psalms and David. You ever read through the Psalms and you see David always crying out for God? And if it, if it wasn't for the little excerpts that you find at the top of the Psalms that say he was on the run in a cave or this or that, 
You would never know where David is because his heart was always desperate and hungry for God. Whether he was in the palace or whether he was in the cave, he was always hungering after him, recognizing that in a dry and weary land that there's nothing that can satisfy but God himself. And so he was always thirsting for him. The missionary I shared last week, David Popovici, says this, the day we wake up without a casting ourselves upon his mercy, we are finished. The day we wake up and say, Lord, I think I got this today. I can do this. I, 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 you're a good help, and this weekend was hard, but today I've got it. Listen to me. Every one of my failures in life is rooted in a failure to depend on him. It's self-rule that he's trying to destroy in our life because self-rule is what killed us. It's the tyranny of self. Jesus has come to take his rightful place in our hearts because when we sit on the throne of our heart, we destroy our lives. All sin, sins, are rooted in sin, which is rooted really in the independence from God. Leonard Ravenhill said that the greatest sin is thinking I could manage my life without God. He has come to rescue us from us if we would see how truly empty and poor we are without him. All that we would be a people that recognize that it would create a hunger in us for more of him. The absolute formula for destruction is to stop clinging to God. Psalm 16.1, listen to this. I'll just read it. The psalmist says this, Preserve me, O God, for in thee I do put my trust. I love that. Most of the psalms say save me, but he says preserve me. He recognizes it's not just about an initial saving. He's saying, Lord, I need you every day. To preserve something is to keep it in its original state. Sin had corrupted us. Jesus is the only one who can make us back to what we were called to be, pure, holy, and blameless. But then from there, there must be a continual cry in our heart to say, preserve me, God. Preserve me today, Lord. Before if you are not with me, that old man will rise up in myself pretty quick. The psalmist recognized he couldn't preserve himself. He needed something from the outside. I believe in my heart that all victory begins with the heart that says I can't do it. This is the beginning of purity when a heart understands it's, there's nothing out here that can do it. No one, nothing of myself. I need Jesus and Jesus alone. And he's come to rescue us. I ask you this. Do you have the same dependency and hunger for him right now that you did when you knew you were lost and he saved you? Do you still have that same desperation? Do you know when someone gets physically sick, what's the first thing that goes? Usually hunger. It's the first thing that you stop eating when you get sick. When you get spiritually sick, the hunger begins to go. Are you hungering for him? Are you thirsting for him? Because that's what it says next. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. When you recognize your poverty, what do you receive in return? The kingdom of heaven. And then it says, if you, and the next it goes, if you thirst and hunger for righteousness, you will be filled. To understand your poverty leads to a thirsting for righteousness. And he says, you will in fact be filled. And this is why Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must deny himself. Why? Because the only way to be completely under the influence of the spirit is to deny the flesh. It's to put the flesh to death. The only way to experience resurrection power in our life is to first go into the grave. That's why he calls us to do that, not because he's some harsh God, but he says we, the old man is connected to the Adam life. So he says that must go, and you must be born again, a new creation, birth of the Spirit, living by the Spirit. It's only then can you walk in everything I've called you to. You'll never be able to do it on your own.
And so after that, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It just hit me that it's not this outward behavior. It's not about this conformity to do the right things outwardly. It's about a heart that's been touched. That's what he's after. Blessed are the pure in heart, which speaks to the center of man. That's what he's always been after, is us. And he says, it's not about changing your actions outwardly. It's a heart that is truly satisfied in him, where you no longer crave the things that you used to. And everything you find is in him. The way to walk in purity, I just wrote this, the way to walk in purity is to have our hearts purely set on him. It's that simple. When our hearts are devoted to him, that's where the, the, the fruit of that is holiness. I think Eric Gilmore said something that holiness is the maximum pleasure of, finding maximum pleasure in God himself. You just, we say this a lot, but if I love Crystal, you don't have to tell me to spend time with her. Uh, you don't have to tell me to do things for her. If I love her, that just comes natural. When I'm in love with God and he has my heart, obedience, all that stuff, it just flows naturally from that. And so the last thing in that scripture that stuck out to me is that, do you know what comes next after the Beatitudes, the portion? It says that we're called to be salt and light. The worship team can come forward. The Lord spoke so deeply to me on this. Those that understand their poverty, those that have a purity for God and God alone, a singleness of heart to say, Lord, I want you. He goes right in after all that to say, you are called to be salt and light in this earth. You understand the only way to be salt and light is to walk in what the Beatitudes ask. And the only way to walk in that is to recognize you can't do it yourself. Jesus has to first come and rescue you. Then he places his spirit inside of you. And then he simply says, yield to the spirit that's in you, and you can walk in these things. And then he rewards us for it. That's crazy what he's asked us to do. He's simply saying, lay down your life and let me live through you, and you will, you will see this. And then you'll be salt and light. Look, you don't hear it a lot. But I just, I, I, I wrestled with sharing things like this, but this is, this, is, this is the truth. This is the word of God. Look, if we want to be salt and light, our lives are going to have to look different. How can we be light? What does salt do? Salt gives flavor to a bland, to a bland dish. We are called to give flavor to a bland world. They're called to look, they're, they're meant to look at us and say, man, I, I want that. That looks different. Salt creates thirst. Our lives should be creating thirst. And those around us saying, man, there's something different. You're walking through the same things, but it looks different in your life. He's called us to be a light. Man, and we're called to be imitators of Christ, the Holy One, the Pure One. That, that when they see us, they see Him. And before there's ever an outpouring of power, there's first a refining of purity he says when the spirit of God comes the Lord will baptize us in the spirit and in fire a baptism of fire is to burn off the impurities oh that we would allow God to do that to us that our lives would look like his I'm sure you heard of the illustration of the purification of gold as the fire comes to the gold it begins to burn up and all the impurities rise to the top all of the dross and they scoop it off and they do it again God, I believe in this next season, if we would be faithful to allow him to do his work, he wants the baptism of fire to come here to purify us. He wants to. And I'm telling you, you want it too, and I want it. Because all the things I kick and scream about that I hate in myself, he's trying to burn those things away. If we would say, Lord, have your way in my heart. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.
I heard a story the other day of a, uh, a true story. The pastor was sharing it. He said, he said there was a, um, a Vietnam War veteran who, when he was in battle, he was just about to step on some type of landmine. And right before he was going to step into this area, he said one of his other soldiers stood up and screamed and told him, basically, watch out. But when that soldier stood up, he was shot and killed. And that man was saved. And it said that a few few years later at a memorial service, the, the veteran who was saved happened to see the family and saw the son of the soldier that saved his life. And the son was about seven years old now, and he never really got to know his father. And he said he came up to him, and the, the boy was just crying, and he saw tears in his eyes, and he got down on one knee and said, I just want you to know that your, your daddy saved my life. And he said, I'll never forget, because the pastor said it's, it's, a, it's a real good question to ask ourselves. He said the little boy looked at him and said, were you worth it? Were you worth it? Leonard Ravenhill says this, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? And if it's not, let's throw it aside. Every sin that entangles us, let's put it aside and say, Jesus, I want my heart to beat for you and you alone, God. Lord, that you would see me as a pure bride. Jesus, help me to walk and pursue holiness, God. Lord, help me to hate the things that you hate. Although we would look like them. Repentance is so beautiful. Book of Revelation, chapter 3, Jesus said, Be earnest to repent, be eager, be zealous to repent. Why? Because I stand at the door and knock. It's because I want to be so intimate with you. Have you fixed your heart on something other than him? Can you say that your heart is single towards him? Are there things that you know that he's called you to lay down? I think sometimes in my life, when I hear him speak to just be with him, and TV becomes more important. How foolish, Lord. Forgive me, God. Lord, that I would just listen to you, God, and walk with you as you've called me to. It's not by might, not by power, but it's by his spirit in you. Feel the Lord say, all you need to do is lay down your life to him. It's a continual thing. Continue to die. listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.
Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.